0: Okay, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, I will be reading Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 9, Luke 9 verses 1 through 9. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see Jesus. Father help me say this text to us in this room today to say it in different ways and in different words and we need the implications of this text to fall upon our hearts our decisions We need it to fall upon us in such a way stronger than ever before that we follow this pattern of the joy of being with you and of being sent out by you to snatch others from the coming wrath with the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. This text brings up two very important, the most important questions in the world. Politics, government, those are really important questions because the impact of government and and political philosophies upon humans' lives, boy, it can be very bad, very negative. Who to marry, where to live, what job to take, significant questions. But all those kinds of questions pale in significance to the first question for every person in this world. Who is Jesus? This is essentially Herod's question. Who is this that I keep hearing about? What is his identity? And the second comes out of it, for those of us who by God's mercy have come to see the reality and the truth of who this Jesus is as Luke has been unfolding him. The second question is, therefore, now that I see that and I love him and I embrace him, what is my life about? I mean beyond politics and marriage and where to live. Really, what is the core of my existence now in this life? And the answer to those two questions is Jesus is the eternal God. He's the only Savior from God's pure, just, holy, and right wrath that is to come. That's who this Jesus is. And the answer to the second question is, He sends us in this world, in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhood, as evangelists. To tell people this message of Christ. So... Let's look at it, Luke chapter 9, first we'll start with verses 1 to 2. We read, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons, and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal it's been, I think, almost ex- almost exactly a year since we started in the book of Luke. We're like 43 or 44 sermons in. This is the first time now where Jesus takes the intimate 12, the apostles. He's got a lot more disciples now. He takes them. This is the first time they are sent out to do the preaching. They have been with him probably well over a year, if not even pushing two. Watching him, hearing him, sitting intimately with him over meals, being taught, instructed, and they're being trained on how to preach. And they're watching these uncanny, miraculous happenings. A leper's skin turns clean. A few weeks ago, we saw they're in a boat and they're going to die in the storm. And he speaks to the storm and it obeys his authority. They've been there when a dead, cold body is brought back to life by the command of his words. They have, so they've seen it. Now, Jesus says, guys, come here. I'm going to send you out, two by two. Luke lets us know this. Two by two. For you go, not without me. I won't be there with you in one sense. And start preaching this message. But notice, the text says also, He gave to them power and authority over demons and to heal diseases. Okay, the power. This is the Greek word dunamis. Y'all know that word comes from. Uh, make we get our English word dynamite. Power is that idea of the actual brute strength to do something. Sometimes you will to do something, you're just not strong enough to do it. But the power is that ability to make your will happen. the The authority exousia here is is this right? Somehow they have this. Right that Jesus, as their sender, transfers to them over demons. They have this right to exercise authority over demons, or cancer, or leprosy, over diseases. And so as we see, we've been watching for a long time Jesus' healing and miraculous ministry. Imagine being one of these very normal sinners, like you. And he says, "Peter, okay, he's a messed up guy. I relate to that. But Peter, what you see in me, how it's blowing your mind, I'm going to transfer that to you in your ministry. To have power and authority over demons and over." diseases and so what is it like for Matthew and Bartholomew and to walk into town and they know the message they've been being trained in this the, 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 the preaching this and people gather and they oh, I know you're with a Jesus yes and he's the one that uh, we're representing we're sent out from him it's you what apostle apostolos means they're sent out from Jesus and then a demon cries out, like they did with Jesus, begging for mercy. And they tell the demons to come out, and they do. I mean, it's got to be mind-boggling experience for these guys. And people come up and, please, make the leprosy go away. Leprosy go away. And It does. A woman brings her child with 105 degree fever up to Nathaniel. Please touch my baby. Heal be healed, and the fever goes away. Uh, Okay, this seems to be what the text says. Now, all of that power and the authority to exercise that power in this text for these guys going village to village here is for the purpose of pointing to something else. It's for the purpose of authenticating their message. They're heralds. They are living front page of the newspapers. Hear ye, hear ye. Read it in verse 2. And he sent them, with this, out to proclamate, to preach, to, to proclaim the kingdom of God. The preaching of was the main thing in this temporary, I don't know how many weeks it went on through these villages. The preaching of the arrival of the kingdom of God was the main thing. The power and the authority was the authentication that yes... The itinerant preacher that everyone's knowing about now, particularly in Galilee, in that whole region, we are his official sent ones because look at the power and the authority, the same as Jesus had, he has transferred over to us. And what they're announcing is the presence of God's sovereign reign and rule, that it's here, it's present with the coming of our Master, Jesus, in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. They were preaching the saving reign of God over people. And therefore repent. Turn from your sin. Believe in this message of what God is doing now in your midst. God, they're saying in these villages... He's here. The kingdom's here. He's here with mercy to save your souls. Your relationship with God. You want proof? Come here, crippled one. Walk. And they walk. If God cares for your bodies, you got to understand that the kingdom at its core is about your eternal well-being. This is the preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God. It's here. It's present. Enter it. Then, in the text, look at verses 3 to 5. Jesus says to the twelve. Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics under garments. You only need one. And whatever house you enter, when you go to each village, just stay at the one house. Don't jump around and say, well, this is a yucky house, small. Just stay there. You're fine. And from that same house, when you leave, then you depart and go to the next village. And wherever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So, essentially here, Jesus, during his ministry, with the twelve, when he sends them out, he gives them instructions to go out with bare necessities. Travel light. Take nothing with you. Don't even take money with you. And don't take an offering box with you. Because that's what the word bag means here. There were lots of religious traveling preachers in the first century and, you got to, and they would always do that and some for good reasons and others for not. So much like today, today's world. He says, take none of this, you can trust me. In other words, what he's saying to them, I think he's teaching them a lesson. Your needs, as you go with nothing, will be met by my Father and usually through the hospitality of those people in those villages who receive the message. They're going to eat, and not bringing food with them, to trust the Father. Now, here's the thing. We should not interpret this passage about Jesus' inst- instructions, take nothing with you, to mean, oh, that's how we are all supposed to do this through... The ages. Don't go with anything. Don't be supported. Don't go to the airport to fly across the world with, you know, take no money with you and expect a ticket. It doesn't mean any of that. One reason I say that very confidently, just keep reading in Luke. So read, 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 and you get down to chapter 22. Within 24 hours of Jesus' laying down his life, at the Last Supper, he says to the twelve. Quote, starting with verse 35. When I sent you out with no money bag, or knapsack, or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said to him, Nothing. You can trust him. That's his point. Then he goes on. He said to them, But now, let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy a sword. But on this short preaching tour that we're running into now in Luke chapter 9, it seems to be, again, we don't want to put a stumbling block during my ministry with people, that you carry a bag. Please put your offerings in here so we can continue right now. Don't do that. But more so... Just get it. Whether I send you with nothing or later tell you, bring this stuff with you and you're gonna God will supply your means. He does it in myriad of ways. The bottom line is, you guys, you can trust me, can't you? Yes, I saw that. We lacked nothing even though we went off preaching with nothing. Now, notice verse 5. Jesus is still speaking to them. Here's his instructions to the twelve, six pairs going off. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from the feet, from your feet as a testimony against them. Okay. They know exactly what he's saying. That term is in their culture. In the first century, when you're a Jew and you're off into Gentile lands and you're going to come back into your Jewish land, homeland or home, etc. What you do is you take off your sandals and you dust them off. In the, it's a sign. It's saying Gentile, pagan, unbelieving. We're not going to bring that dirt into our holy chosen Land that we are with God. So it's a sign of God's judgment against those, the unchosen, the unbeliever. Okay, they know that. What's stunning is Jesus, now, Jesus is a Jew. The 12 are all Jewish, they're not in the diaspora living abroad, they're living in the homeland. This is Israel. They're in the region of Galilee, predominantly Jewish. He's telling them to go to Jewish town after Jewish town and preach the fulfillment of the prophets about the Son of David, the kingdom of God coming. And when you get those towns, those little villages that spurn that message, when you leave, you do that sign to them. You shake off the dust of your feet. Essentially saying, You're no better than a stinking Gentile. You are under God's judgment. Now, it's a prophetic demonstration of the message they're preaching. The message that they're preaching of the kingdom of God. You remember how John put it in John 3? God did not send the Son in the world to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. God's judgment already hangs over everybody, Jew and all the other people. He sent His Son. This is why it's called good news, the gospel, means good news, of the kingdom of of the saving reign of God, that He's come to deliver you from what you deserve. But when people reject that, the dusting off, you seeing that judgment, which is coming, still hangs and remains over you like an outsider, a Gentile, not in God's covenant. See, later on, 22 years or so later, the Apostle Paul in his ministry, I'm going to turn to Acts 13 for a moment, and, and listen to this same idea paul's now preaching into mainly gentile lands but in every town there's a synagogue there are jews there and he goes there first i pick up in acts 13 verse 48 and when the gentiles heard this the message the gospel of the kingdom they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life they believed And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But when they're being driven out, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them. It's a prophetic demonstration, a pronouncement to those who reject the only salvation that there is, is that God's judgment remains upon you to your peril. And then Luke records a very strange response in verses 7 to 9. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all these things, all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John, John the Baptist, had been raised from the dead, by some others that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets had risen. the dead and that's who this Jesus is and Herod said John I killed, I, I beheaded but who is this about whom I hear such things and he sought to see him I think Herod's going nuts I think he's more than perplexed see the ministry of Jesus you've got to get this, this is Herod Antipas he is the With Jewish background, and he is the the political governing ruler over the region of Galilee. And if you've been following for the last year in Luke, all of Jesus' ministry in Luke so far has been up in the north, in the region of Galilee. He has not at all, in Luke, gone down to Jerusalem or anything yet. It's all in the Galilean region. This is Herod's region. This is the same Herod who had John the Baptist imprisoned. The same Herod who actually enjoyed talking with John, even though John would confront him. And he would go down to the cell, and he would ask questions, religious questions, etc. This is the Herod who was not thrilled about putting John to death, but in a drunken stupor, he made a big boo-boo one night, and you know the story, I hope. And John was killed. And he's hearing, is this is John raised from the dead. So it's one thing, Jesus' ministry had been spreading, going from town to town, by the Sea of Galilee, into the synagogues, open air meetings with thousands of people. News is coming. Maybe he's Elijah. Who is this guy? Now, what's going on here? He gets word it's not just Jesus. (laughs) Village, four or five villages over here with these two guys. Jesus' disciples. And then over here, four or five villages with another two guys. And over here, and it's just spreading. And Herod's pulling his hair out. Luke lets us know, who is this guy? And he sought to see him. I don't tried to see him. Jesus, no. Couldn't care less. Herod did get to see him, Finally. During the middle of the night, Pilate set his wits in. and You know, Herod, he's in town here in Jerusalem. Jesus is from his region, Galilee. Send him over there. Jesus kept his mouth shut, just stood there while they mocked him, put a robe on him, sent him back to Pilate. But, in our text, it is, Herod's question, where I think Luke really intends for Theophilus and us, the readers, to focus. Who is this guy? You gotta you understand how crazy this Christianity thing is. See, it's not just a religion to make you feel good. It's based upon. Do you really believe? He's raising the dead. I mean cold, hardened bodies for 12 hours come up. That he actually really spoke to a storm and it immediately obeyed his voice. This is what the Bible is claiming. And this is happening in Jesus' ministry everywhere he goes. Who is this? This person is the question. It's the most important question for every soul that there is. The most important question that exists, whether you're raised in an Islamic family, a Jewish family, a Christian family, an atheistic family. Who is this historical figure see Luke when he's writing this, got to get this he knows that his readers have the advantage on that question see he knows Oh, here's Herod in his own little time in his own life experience what's going on? Luke has been writing the screenplay of history Lucas say the readers you know from the beginning of the movie even to this point with Herod's question and you're gonna you can jump to the end, you can see how it ends. You see the whole ball of wax to this question. Sort of like when people were in a horror flick, you know, they're seeing the whole movie, but, but the character, Herod, or that woman who's about ready to get it, doesn't and people yell at the screen, look behind you. Okay. that's where we are. We see the whole picture. Luke knows it. That's the whole purpose of him putting it in here. We're outside looking in. This question has been the central theme of Luke's whole narrative. That is, the identity of Jesus. Just a quick, we're going to get a quick movie. What we've seen over the last year. Chapter 1, verse 35. Luke has let us know. The angel announced to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, Mary, the child to be born will be called Holy, Holy, the Son of God. We have that info. Nine months later, he's born. And that night when he's born, God sends the angel to make an announcement to the shepherds out in the field. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Both Simeon and... And Anna, when Jesus is taken to the temple as an infant, by the Holy Spirit, they both testify, this one is the, quote, the Lord's Christ, Messiah. Decades later, John the Baptist shows up in his ministry. Are you the one? John's answer, no, I'm not. I'm the forerunner. But, quote, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, referring to this Jesus. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus shows up in his ministry. And Luke lets us know as he shows up now in his public ministry most human beings are just baffled in our darkness and sin and dumbness. and, and then there, But there's other creatures called demons. They're dwelling all around and in people. And they recognize, Jesus, Luke tells us, crying out, Ha! Huh? What do you have to do with us, Jesus from Nazareth? We know who you are. You're the Holy One. From God, or quote, and demons also came out of many, crying. Luke says, "You are the Son of God." When he forgave the paralytic in that room, uh, healed him, and then he says, "Your sins are forgiven." The religious leaders or the Pharisees said, "Who can forgive sins?" But God alone. They got it. We saw that John the Baptist, he's in prison, he's wavering. Am I missing it? Are you the one or not? Go tell John. Let me me just put it in a short way. This is what Jesus said. Go tell John, yes, I'm the one. After Jesus calmed the storm, his disciples said, Who then is this man? That he commands even the wind, and the water, and they obey Him. The ultimate testimony to His identity came at Jesus' baptism when God the Father supernaturally thundered, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And again, later in this chapter, Luke 9, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father, in the hearing of Peter, James, and John, will say, This is my chosen one, my son. Listen to him. We know who he is in Luke. This is who this genuine authentic human being dependent upon food to survive. Who eliminates food. Who must sleep. This we have been seeing is that man. The man who commands storms. He somehow has the jurisdiction, the sovereignty, Over everything. Now, in our text, that man, that sinless human being, the son of David, the Savior, takes 12 everyday, very normally screwed up sinners. says I give to you my power and my authority now you start doing this work with me preaching the message of the kingdom of God the good news of its arrival you remember Peter he's one of these guys right how it started way back he he was fishing that day he had already known Jesus. had been hanging out with him a little bit. But they still have their fishing business. And they caught nothing. And Jesus dropped the net over there on that side of the boat. Yeah, like you know what you're talking about. He does and fish jump into it. Peter's response? Fell down. And said, please leave me. Stay away from me. Because I am a sinful man. It's exactly what Jesus wants to do. He okay, I'm going to make you, Peter, a fisher of men. We're starting to see him throw lines now. Later on, here we are. Peter, you, uh, you team up with Nathaniel and go. Start dropping the lines in these villages. You know what the bait is now. You know what the message is. Be faithful to it. And I give you the power and authority to take with you. The implication... Is that not just the 12, I'm not going to go — I mean, I've thought of there's no way I can because of time, and I, don't, I decide not to make another sermon out of it. The 12 are distinct. and with Paul, and we can talk about the type of authority because they're the foundation of the church. but much of what they're doing is carried on for the last 2,000 years through the church. And there are principles. And the foundational principle is this. That we who like them have responded positively to the message of salvation in Jesus Christ called the gospel. We who have been chosen to come to Him have been chosen to be sent out by Him to the villages proclaiming the message of the good news of the reign and the rule of salvation in Jesus Christ. Before He ascended to heaven, yes, He gathered the twelve, the end of Matthew 28, and He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Now, here's the way it really ought to be translated. Now, as you are going out, here's the verb, main thing. Make Disciples. It's the command. Make disciples of all names. Disciples are those who are learners, those who sit under and are being instructed and sanctified and growing in their understanding and knowledge of the salvation of Christ that is saving them be making disciples how by baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and by teaching them everything that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the ages that's really for me a key that when he says that that after you 12 were dead and gone This command is the church's command until the end of the ages. Every single one of us today that believes in Christ, they're sitting in this room, it is because others have gone before us in carrying the message of Christ, of the apostles, down through the last 20 centuries. Some way, somehow, it reached us. Paul I think in the most concise way summarized the power of the preaching, the telling. Hear ye, hear ye. There's a a message. Let me tell you what happened in human history in God's salvation. Paul said it's this way. I am not ashamed of the gospel. There's the message. The good news. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why Paul? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who, when they hear it, believe. When they believe it. Jesus, the Savior, has chosen men and women to tell this gospel in all walks of life. To share With other people, that message that when you heard it, God awakened you to Himself and affirmed to you that your sins are wiped out. That is the way God has ordained to save people. He did not give the message to angelic beings to scare the living daylights out of people for the last 20 centuries and announce to them the message of Christ's life and death and resurrection for their salvation. He did not choose every day to supernaturally write the message in the sky every day in all cultures. He chose broken, sinful, Dysfunctional people who are always in process of being discipled. He chose them as part of their discipleship to seek to disciple other people. We're called to tell the message. To that community called our families, the neighborhoods in which we live. Our workplace. To tell them. There's a simpleness to it. And as you know, as a preacher who preaches for an hour, you can be you can show the complexities always of it. But there's the there's a simpleness when you be clear about they should be focused on the same question if they leave you and your conversation led to Jesus Christ in the gospel. And that is, they're like, okay, whoa. I don't know if I believe it. Or they're just left with Herod's perplexity. Wow. That's crazy. Or is it? Who? Is he is it real? Who is this Jesus? The Apostle Paul, listen to how he summarizes this in second Corinthians chapter five starting with verse 19, Paul writes, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their sins, their trespasses against them, and He is entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That is, God Himself making His appeal through us. We implore, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why? Because God, for our sake made Jesus Christ to be sin and killed Him and thus satisfied the dead our sin of. But so that we, believers who believe in Him, would be made the very righteousness of God before Him. That's what Paul summary. That's the core. That's it. That's the message. We tell people about the Creator and therefore the, the Holy One who never came into being and we, we talk biblically about His perfect righteousness and holiness and His completeness and that He's the one who created us. That's why we see rain and, and everything. That's why you have a consciousness, dear lady. And as you know, sir, like we all know, Something's wrong with us and with the world. Turn on the news or just lay down and think about your own life. Everything's broken. It's called sin. It's called rebellion against the holiness of God. The justness of God. And God cannot be unjust so He cannot deny right and wrong. In justness, that would be... A horrific thing. It would be evil on his part. There is a coming. Reckoning. Judgment upon every soul. Of man or woman. But the gospel. That is the good news. Is that this holy God. In his eternal. Infinite love. For doomed sinners has made a way to satisfy His justice without bypassing it, but to satisfy it in putting His own Son, the Eternal One, who became a human being on a cross and said, there sin will be dealt with and His Judgment and wrath was poured out on Jesus as the substitute. And God raised Him from the dead to confirm that He is the only salvation, refuge for your just punishment. We tell and we say, therefore, Here it is. It goes to you now. Whoever you are, no matter what you've done, if in hearing this, do you believe that message? If you do, you can't do anything for it. You can't do anything religiously for it. All you can do is say, yes, I see it and embrace it. God will instantaneously forgive all your sins and the perfect life of Jesus Christ will be put to your account right now and forever. And one day He will raise you bodily from the dead with all the saints to enjoy Him gloriously. So we don't make up the message. Just kind of big, Jesus, and then uh, what can we say? What do, what do you want to hear about Jesus? How can He be a Savior? No, no. no. We, we don't make the message up. The message is there. We are to be faithful ambassadors of the gospel. Like these twelve, they were sent to go out and to preach a particular message that Jesus gave to them. And we preach it. And as we see in our text, that glorious good news, it, it comes with bad news. Some won't receive it. As these six pairs go out into these villages, some villages as a whole would just reject it. And therefore, there's that sober act. It can be, it's done differently in different cultures. In that culture, the sober was shaking the dust from your feet. We don't condemn people. See, the, the world and every person, by their nature, if sin is already under just condemnation, we go and say, there's an out <laughs> a glorious Savior. And that's the good news in light of the bad. In chapter 2 of Second Corinthians, that's why Paul made it clear that that one message has two effects. Quote, for we are, in our preaching of the gospel of Christ, we are an aroma of Christ in that gospel to God. We're like incense to God. Among those who, when we preach the gospel, they're being saved by it. It's got one kind of a smell. And then we're also, same message, an aroma to God among those who are rejecting it. Who are perishing. To one were a fragrance from death to death, but to the other were a fragrance from life to life. So here's the rub of this passage. These guys that are sent out, got to get it. Wow, they're super apostles. Cause we got 12, not 12, we got 20 centuries of church history and we made them. Quote, unquote, saints and everything. Look at Peter. They're, they're sinful people. They were born in sin. They met Christ. He saved them from the consequences of them, their sin. And they were still sinful, yet saints being saved. What was the difference of, of a Peter? Of a, of a Matthew? despised and hated tax collector, stealing at gunpoint with the help of the Roman soldiers, the money of his own countrymen. The difference was they were with Jesus. They were changed. That's why they're preaching now. A year or two years later the essence of all of our Christian lives is to be with Jesus. It is to go on, be, I'm saying it on purpose, being discipled. Being renewed. Being absorbed in this book, being absorbed in Colossians, in Romans, in Genesis, in Malachi, in Luke, in First Corinthians, knowing it, loving it, the Word of God, written, the representative of the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ to be with Him and by the power of His Spirit. That's the Christian life. And then what? You be normal, everyday people who happen to contain within your soul the greatest commodity in existence called the message of the Gospel. And so, our calling is to be actively seeking Seeking unbelievers to tell and to bring into the kingdom and seeking other believers in our, in, in our church lives to who can I disciple and how am I being discipled? As, as Paul would go on to say, we are admonishing, and correcting and encouraging and teaching one another with the Psalms and hymns and spirituals. This is the whole totality of making disciples of all nations. It starts with evangelism and it continues on through the grave. That's for us and it's for us being used on behalf of others. So therefore, part of being a Christian means praying for more boldness, brainstorming, how may I be used more to bring those in darkness into eternal salvation in life. And you're used sometimes just to plant seeds. You're used sometimes to harvest. But it is the faithfulness of planting the seeds of the great news of salvation in Jesus Christ. So that, That means first in our lives. It's just that everyday life, the people God puts in our lives. Someone at school, neighbors, in the workplace. You, 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 you try to do this friendship kind of thing, but you're looking always, I think, how are we going to lead this or this other conversation or now the sixth conversation I'm having somehow to God or death, Jesus, the gospel, sin. Ultimately, our goal in those situations is to get to the clarity of who. Is Christ? What is this message offered freely to all people? And one thing in there, it's really, if we're getting in those conversations because you know what, they got a loss in the family and you feel their pain, you say, I know I've gone through that, or the economy somehow has destroyed them, and you, I don't know, you start different ways. And, gosh, I know, isn't it? It's a strange world that God made. Who no, knows? That might be the end. You just mentioned the word God, and you get, a, and they want to talk, and you lead more into this God. You believe? Do you believe in God? But ultimately, you're getting them to the gospel. And if we can get people, help them, put a Bible in their hand where they probably or may have one at home, to actually read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. If we can get them to read alone for themselves. The narrative of Christ. This is how John said about reading the narrative, this way, in the Gospel of John chapter 20. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's amazing. We can trust the Word, working even in those who are outside of Christ like it did in us. That you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That He is the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in His name. And then there, there is more brainstorming to be more proactive in times of evangelism. As opposed to just daily life. You know, I gotta, there may be someone in here who says, Hmm, maybe that might be me. There are lots of old folks' homes. And I got news for you. Most people in those, because I used to do this on a regular basis, you just show up. You don't know them. When you walk into the room, you got permission from the people at the desk, and they're usually very happy. Tell them why you're there. You, wanna, you just want to pray for people. You will find that in those beds at times, there is a believer who's just yearning for fellowship, yearning for you to read Scripture and then you'll find you've got unbelievers and they hear the name Jesus in that hardness of heart even in that old age don't want anything to do with it or in between but you've got the gospel of Christ and you're ministering to felt needs and with underneath it the gospel they're all over the place so as you go and you learn to do that you, you bring people with you you can train others and they might see how actually exciting that was so other stuff like what Bob Draves and with Chris Lopez is doing, they've been brainstorming how can we proactively go out and spend periods of time on a on a Saturday here and there, witnessing for Christ, getting in conversations about the gospel, and they've been thinking about this for a while. And I like what I'm hearing. They're just the basics would at this point there would be in an open place like a farmer's market. And they have a system that's up front. No tricking people. People will know these, we're Christians. And we have ten questions for you. And those questions are structured really well. Ha, huh, Trish? Yes, you were a guinea pig. And so, and in those ten questions, they'll be putting the Bible that they want to leave with the person to in their hand. Ask them the question. Not a whole lot of preaching at them. Let them answer. Just, just one method. And then you go to the next Question. And you let them answer. And then the third or fourth question leads them to, okay, can you read that? And it's all marked for them. They'll read that one verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. What do you think about that? You don't know where that will go. Okay, okay, oh, right there. Turn the next page number, and there's another one. It's Ten questions, and they know what they're getting into when they come up. I'm excited about it. We'll see how that works. And as they get going on that, and uh, in the future, they would love to really train, starting with teenagers. Come, watch how this is done. But the battle overall in our lives, in whatever official evangelism, daily life, it is a battle at the level of the spirit world which means pray. God puts people in your life, and you pray for them. You're going out on a Saturday, and you've got a booth, you've got a table, people are going to come, and you pray before over that. And in general, in Sovereign Grace Fellowship, you should constantly be praying for our whole area called the South Bay, and all of us churches that are represented, that God would miraculously Do something that He would open up hearts and pour out a revival upon people. We are these people who have received the message of the apostles. We are those like them being saved by grace and thus sent with that joyful message in our lives to evangelize and disciple others. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would grow a deeper and deeper yearning and passion in every one of us to be used by you in speaking to unbelievers the gospel. And we pray that you would save many. Father, I pray that we would not slack in our need to constantly in the community of the church over the Word be being discipled by one another. Being used as a mature Christian and helping a new Christian grow from where they're at. Oh, may the gospel. Just bloom in our midst to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.